Chapter Forty Five of Uncle Silas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Silas by J. Sheridan Le Fenu. Chapter Forty Five. A Chapter Full of Lovers. We had about this time a pleasant and quite unexpected visit from Lord Ilbury. He had come to pay his respects, understanding that my Uncle Silas was sufficiently recovered to see visitors. And I think I'll run upstairs first, and see him, if he admits me, and then I'll have ever so long a message from my sister, Mary, for you and Miss Millicent. But I had better dispose of my business first, don't you think so? And I shall return in a few minutes." and as he spoke our tremulous old butler returned to say that uncle silas would be happy to see him so he departed and you can't think how pleasant our homely sitting-room looked with his coat and stick in it guarantees of his return do you think milly he is going to speak about the timber you know that cousin knollis spoke of i do hope not so do i said milly I wish he'd stay a bit longer with us first, for if he does, father will sure to turn him out of doors, and we'll see no more of him. Exactly, my dear Milly, and he's so pleasant and good-natured. And he likes you awful well, he does. I'm sure he likes us both equally, Milly. He talked a great deal to you at Elverston, and he used to ask you so often to sing those two pretty Lancashire ballads, I said. "'But you know when you were at your controversies and religious exercises in the window, "'with that pillar of the church, the Reverend Spriggs Biddlepen, "'Get away with your nonsense, Maud. "'How could I help answering when he dodged me up and down my testament and catechism? "'And I most hate him, I tell you. "'And Cousin Knollis, you're such fools, I do. "'And whatever you say, the Lord likes you uncommon. "'And well you know it, ye hussy.' I know no such thing, and you don't think it, you hussy. And I really don't care who likes me, or who doesn't, except my relations, and I make the Lord a present to you, if you'll have him. In this strain we were talking when he re-entered the room, a little sooner than we had expected to see him. Milly, who you are to recollect, was only in the process of reformation, and still retained something of the Derbyshire dairymaid, gave me a little clandestine pinch on the arm, just as he made his appearance. "'I just refused a present from her,' said odious Milly, in answer to his inquiring look, "'because I knew she could not spare it.' The effect of all this was that I blushed one of my overpowering blushes. People told me they became me very much. I hope so.' for the misfortune was frequent and i think nature owed me that compensation it places you both in a most becoming light said lord ilbury quite innocently i really don't know which to most admire the generosity of the offer or of the refusal well it was kind if you but knew i'm most tempted to tell him said milly i checked her with a really angry look and said Perhaps you have not observed it, but I really think, for a sensible person, my cousin Milly here talks more nonsense than any twenty girls. A twenty-girl power. 
That's an immense compliment. I've the greatest respect for nonsense. I owe it so much. And I really think if nonsense were banished, the earth would grow insupportable. Thank you, Lord Ilbury, said Milly, who had grown quite easy in his company during our long visit to Delverston. And I tell you, Miss Maud, if you grow saucy, I'll accept your present. And what will you say then? I really don't know. But just now I want to ask Lord Ilbury how he thinks my uncle looks. Neither I nor Milly have seen him since his illness. Very much weaker, I think. But he may be gaining strength. Still, as my business was not quite pleasant, I thought it better to postpone it. And if you think it would be right, I'll write to Dr. Brierly and ask him to postpone the discussion for a little time. I at once assented and thanked him. Indeed, if I had had my way, the subject should never have been mentioned. I felt so hard-hearted and rapacious. But Lord Ilbury explained that the trustees were constrained by the provision of the will, and that I really had no power to release them. And I hoped that Uncle Silas also understood all this. And now, said he, we've returned to Grange, my sister and I, and it is nearer than Elverston, so that we are really neighbors. And Mary wants Lady Knollys to fix a time she owes us a visit, you know, and you really must come at the same time. It will be so very pleasant, the same party exactly meeting in a new scene, and we have not half explored our new neighborhood, and I've got down all those Spanish engravings I told you of, and the Venetian missiles, and all the rest. I think I remember very accurately the things you were most interested by, and they are all there, and you really must promise, you and Miss Millicent Rithin. And I forgot to mention, you know you complain that you were ill supplied with books, so Mary thought you would allow her to share her supply. They are the new books, you know. And when you have read yours, you and she can exchange. What girl was ever quite frank about her likings? I don't think I was more of a cheat than others, but I never could tell of myself. It is quite true that this duplicity and reserve seldom deceives. Our hypocrisies are forced upon some of our sex by the acuteness and vigilance of all in this field of inquiry. But if we are sly, we are also lynx-eyed, capital detectives, most ingenious in fitting together the bits and dovetails of a cumulative case, and in those affairs of love and liking have a terrible exploratory instinct, and so, for the most part, when detected we are found out not only to be in love, but to be rogues, moreover. Lady Mary was very kind, but had Lady Mary of her own mere motion taken all this trouble, was there no more energetic influence at the bottom of all that welcome chest of books, which arrived only half an hour later? The circulating library of those days was not the epidemic and ubiquitous influence to which it has grown, and there were many places where it could not find you out. Altogether that evening at Bartram had acquired a particular beauty, a bright and mellow glow in which even its gate-posts and wheelbarrows were interesting, and the next day came a little cloud. Dudley appeared. "'You may be sure he wants money,' said Milly. "'He and father had words this morning. He took a chair at our luncheon, found fault with everything in his own laconic dialect, 
ate a good deal notwithstanding, and was sulky, and with Milly snappish. To me, on the contrary, when Milly went into the hall, he was mild and whimpering and disposed to be confidential. "'There's the governor says he hasn't a bob. Dang if I know how an old feller in his bedroom muddles away money at that rate. I don't suppose he thinks I can get along without him, and he knows them trustees won't give me a tizzy till they get what they calls an opinion. Dang em! Briarly says he doubts it must all go under settlement. They'll settle me nicely if they do. And Governor knows all about it and won't give me a dang brass farlin' and me with bills to pay and lawyers, dang em, writing letters. He knows some of that himself, does Governor. And he might have some consideration a bit for his own flesh and blood, I say, but he never does not for none but himself. I'll sell his books and his jewels next fit he takes. That's how I'll fit him. This amiable young man, glowering, with his elbows on the table and his fingers in his great whiskers, followed his homily, where clergymen appended the blessing, with a muttered variety of very different matter. "'Now, Maud,' said he, pathetically, leaning back suddenly in his chair with all his conscious beauty and misfortunes in his face, "'is not it hard lines? I thought the appeal was going to shape itself into an application for money, but it did not. "'I never knowed a real beauty, first chop, of course, I mean,' That wasn't kind along of it. And I'm a fella as can't get along without sympathy. That's why I say it. And isn't it hard lines? Now, say it's hard lines, ain't it, Maud? I did not know exactly what hard lines meant. But I said, I suppose it is very disagreeable. And with this concession, not caring to hear any more in the same vein, I rose, intending to take my departure. "'No, that's just it. I knew you'd say it, Maud. "'You're a kind lass, ye be. Tis in your pretty face. "'I like ye awful, I do. "'There's not a handsomer lass in Liverpool, nor London itself. Nowhere.' "'He had seized my hand, and, trying to place his arm about my waist, "'essayed that salute which I had so narrowly escaped on my first introduction. "'Don't, sir,' I exclaimed in high indignation.' "'escaping at the same moment from his grasp. "'No offense, lass, no harm, Maud. "'You must not be so shy. "'We're cousins, you know, and I wouldn't hurt ye, Maud. "'No more nor I'd knock my head off. I wouldn't.' "'I did not wait to hear the rest of his tender protestations, "'but without showing how nervous I was, "'I glided out of the room quietly, making an orderly retreat, "'the more meritorious as I heard him call after me persuasively, "'Come back, Maud!' "'What are ye afraid on, lass? "'Come back, I say. "'Do now. "'There's a good wench.' "'As Milly and I were taking our walk that day "'in the direction of the windmill wood, "'to which, in consequence perhaps of some secret order, "'we now had free access. "'We saw beauty, for the first time since her illness, "'in the little yard throwing grains to the poultry. "'How do you find yourself today, Meg?' I am very glad to see you able to be about again, but I hope it is not too soon. We were standing at the barred gate of the little enclosure, and quite close to Meg, who, however, did not choose to raise her head, but, continuing to shower her grain and potato skins among her hens and chickens, said in a low tone, 
Father baint in sight? Look just round a bit and say if you see him. But Dickon's dusky red costume was nowhere visible. So Meg looked up, pale and thin, and, with her old grave, observant eyes, she said quietly, "'Tisn't that I'm not glad to see ye, but if father was to spy me talking friendly with ye, now that I'm hearty, and you havin' no more call to me, he'd be always a-watchin' and thinkin' I was tellin' o' tales, and appen he'd want me to worry ye for money, Miss Maud, and tisn't here he'd spend it, but in the Feltrum Pottises he would, and we want for nothin' that's good for us, but that's how twould be, and he'd always be a jawin' and a lickin' of I, so don't mind me, Miss Maud, and happen I might do ye a good turn some day. A few days after this little interview with Meg, as Milly and I were walking briskly, for it was a clear, frosty day, along the pleasant slopes of the sheep-walk, we were overtaken by Dudley Rithin. It was not a pleasant surprise. There was this mitigation, however, we were on foot, and he driving in a dog-cart along the track leading to the moor, with his dogs and gun. He brought his horse, for a moment, to a walk, and with a careless nod to me, removing his short pipe from his mouth, he said, "'Governor's calling for you, Milly, and he told me to send you slick home to him if I saw you, and I think he'll give you some money. But you better take him while he's in a humor, lass, or mayhap you'll go along without.' And with those words, apparently intent on his game, he nodded again, and, pipe in mouth, drove at a quick trot over the slope of the hill, and disappeared. So I agreed to await Milly's return while she ran home, and rejoined me where I was. Away she ran, in high spirits, and I wandered listlessly about in search of some convenient spot to sit down upon, for I was a little tired. She had not been gone five minutes when I heard a step approaching, and looked around, saw the dog-cart close by, the horse browsing on the short grass, and Dudley Rithin within a few paces of me. "'You see, Maud, I've been thinking while you're so vexed with me, and I thought I'd just come back and ask ye what I may have done to anger ye so. There's no sin in that, I think, is there?' "'I'm not angry. I did not say so. I hope that's enough,' I said, startled, and, notwithstanding my speech, very angry, for I felt instinctively that Milly's dispatch homeward was a mere trick, and I the dupe of this coarse stratagem. "'Well, then, if you baint angry, so much the better, Maud. I only want to know why you're afeard of me. I never struck a man foul, much less hurt a girl in my days. Besides, Maud, I likes ye too well to hurt ye. Dang it, lass, you're my cousin, you know, and cousins is always together and lovin', and none says against it. I've nothing to explain. There is nothing to explain.' "'I've been quite friendly,' I said, hurriedly. "'Friendly? Well, if there baint a cram. "'And how can ye think it friendly, Maud, "'when ye won't a'most shake hands with me? "'It's enough to make a fellow swear or cry a'most. "'Why do ye like aggravating a poor devil? "'Now baint ye an ill-natured little puss, Maud, "'and I liken ye so well. "'You're the prettiest lass in Derbyshire. "'There's nothing I wouldn't do for ye.' and he backed his declaration with an oath. "'Be so good, then, as to re-enter your dog-cart and drive away,' I replied, very much incensed. "'Now, there it is again. Ye can't speak me civil. Another feather'd fly out and maybe kiss ye for spite, 
but I bain't that sort. I'm all for coaxin' and kindness, and ye won't let me. What be you drivin' at, Maud? I think I've said very plainly, sir, that I wish to be alone. You've nothing to say, except utter nonsense, and I've heard quite enough. Once for all, I beg, sir, that you will be so good as to leave me. Well, now, look here, Maud. I'll do anything you like. Burn me if I don't. If you'll only just be kind to me like cousin should. What did I ever do to vex you? If you think I like any lass better than you, some fella at Elverston's been talking, maybe. It's not but lies and nonsense. Not but there's lots of winches likes me well enough, though I be a plain lad and speaks my mind straight out. I can't see that you are so frank, sir, as you describe. You have just played a shabby trick to bring about this absurd and most disagreeable interview. And supposing I did send that fool Milly out of the way to talk a bit with you. Where's the harm? Dang it, last, ye mustn't be too hard. Didn't I say I'd do whatever ye wished? And you won't, said I. Ye mean to get along out of this? Well, now I will. There, no use, of course, asking you to kiss and be friends before I go, as cousins should. Well, don't be riled, lass, I'm not asking it, only mind, I do like you awful, and happen I'll find ye in better humor another time. Goodbye, Maud, I'll make ye like me at last. And with these words, to my comfort, he addressed himself to his horse and pipe, and was soon honestly on his way to the moor. End of chapter 45